Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills, located in Dover, New Jersey. Our desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application for our lives. With that in mind... King David, who was a man full of a lot of sin, sums it up very well, Psalm 51.4. He says this to God, Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Godly sorrow is our grief over our rebellion against God, and it leads to both a change of mind and a change of behavior. One of the hardest things in life is to change habits and practices we know that God calls sin. Today, Pastor Jim explains how we can experience true lasting change in a most unexpected way. With that in mind, here's Pastor Jim in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 7 with part 2 of his message entitled, True Change Through Godly Sorrow. People often feel guilty when they hear the Word of God. It's often, put your seatbelts on, tied to the love of their sin. In other words, people know how harmful some of their sin is and they may feel bad, but they hold on because they can't bear to lose it. Such sorrow over worldly loss, over the consequences or even the guilt of sin is easily self-centered, isn't it? It's easy to make it all about you and it's sinful and it's death. Now, It's easy to pick on all the really bad sins that our society considers bad, but just think of all the things that you love more than God. Those things are death. It's easy to become self-consumed. It's easy to become bitter. It's easy to become paralyzed. In the book of Genesis, a joker by the name of Esau gave up his birthright for some food because he loved his stomach more than he loved what God had for him. And in the New Testament, Hebrews 12 says that he sold his birthright and cried, but there was no repentance. You see, worldly sorrow doesn't drive you to God. You know why? Because it doesn't perceive its actions were against God. If you don't perceive your actions are against God, if I don't perceive my actions are against God, then at best I can have worldly sorrow and I can expect basically no biblical long-lasting change. Now, you might stop. You might stop because it's good for your health. You might stop because it keeps you out of jail. You might stop because you get to keep your family, but it's spiritual death Without a reference to God, it is merely moralism at best. But godly sorrow is so different. King David, who was a man full of a lot of sin, sums it up very well, Psalm 51.4. He says this to God, Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Godly sorrow is our grief over our rebellion against God, and it leads to both a change of mind and a change of behavior. In godly sorrow, we see the sin the way God does. 
we see that it put Jesus Christ on the cross. And our heartache comes out of that. But so does our hope. I know there's some young people here, but from the ages of 18 to 29, Pastor Jim was a big drug user. And please don't picture some down and outer. I started with nothing and built a multi-million dollar company in the process. But when I heard somebody teach the Bible, interesting, I heard the story of a man named Joseph in the Bible, who some woman said, why don't you come and lie with me, come and have intimate relations with me? And he said, how can I do this great wickedness before God? I realized that my sinful lifestyle was before God. And my prayer, essentially, of coming into the kingdom was, I'm so sorry, God. Years later, God blessed me with a wife and some children. And I saw one of the guys I used to run with. And he didn't believe that I was really done with drugs. And he said to me, I bet if I took a mirror full of cocaine and put it right in front of your nose, you couldn't say no. And I said to him, I would rather die. I would rather die than undo what God has done in my life. I would rather drink gasoline and kill myself quickly than kill my wife and my children slowly that I know that drugs do. I'm not saying anything about me in any realm of that, but I got in my car after that and I began to cry. Why? Because I knew what God had done in my life. He had taken a guy who loved doing that stuff and somehow had supernaturally made him love Jesus more. And if you're struggling with something today, I want to tell you, he wants to do that for you. Uh, There's nothing special about me. Nothing special about me other than who my heavenly father is. But God wants to do that today. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, godly sorrow Coming to God is a condition of salvation. Forget that baloney that people have been telling you that you got to be a good person. Guy comes to Jesus. Oh, good teacher. Jesus goes, none are good but God. <laughs> that's, like, that's like I'm out, right? <laughs> the Bible says none seek after God. No, not one. We're not good people compared to a holy God. Now, I'm not saying go live off the rails. Trust me. But if you're not a follower of Jesus, godly sorrow is a condition of going to heaven. It is a gift from God when God shows you who you really are. And in the remorse over your sin that's before God, instead of living with your back to God, you turn to him and you put your trust in Jesus Christ. If you don't believe me, look what verse 10 says. He says, for godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. Leading to what? Your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. Not all of us, but many of us know the story of the prodigal son. He had a wonderful father, and he turned his back on his father. He said, give me all my money, give me my inheritance, I'm out of here. And he went out and he partied. He had a lot of money. If you have a lot of money, you got a lot of friends. When you're flat broke, you have no friends. And what was he doing? He was living with the pigs. He was eating their food. He was sleeping in the mud. 
And all of a sudden he realized, what am I doing here? My father is rich. The Bible says he came to himself. He realized who he was in front of his father. And he went and he confessed his sin and his unworthiness to his father. And what did his father do? His father ran to him. His father threw a party. Friend, you cannot be too bad to come to Jesus Christ. You can only be too proud. And you say, well, will I live to regret it? Well, he told us that that godly repentance is not to be regretted. What does that mean? I believe with all of my heart it means this. You will never regret coming to God. I have never, never, all the things that God put out of my life and I had to take out of my life, all the struggles with my own personal sins, some of you who I love and know so well, all of those struggles, but I know this, you have not regretted coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, it may be a dogfight. It may be you're depending on him every moment of the day, but you are not regretted it. You're not regretting it. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, please don't disengage. Salvation in the Bible is initial. You repent and believe. It is present and it is future. The Bible talks about that you were saved, that you're being saved, and you will be saved. We use that illustration of your drowning. You're drowning. Jesus throws the life preserver to you. You are saved. You get on the boat and you're driving towards land. You are being saved. And then when you land in heaven, on land, you are saved. And so let us be careful And let us not disengage. Also, he could be talking about rewards here. But the Corinthian church has a problem that many churches do. And in chapter 12, he's going to state the problem, and it's this. Not all in the church have repented. Not all in the church belong to Jesus Christ. That's why we preach how to get to heaven week after week after week, and is not uncommon for people to walk up to me and say, Pastor Jim, I've been here for months. I've been here for years. And I finally put my trust in Jesus Christ. I share the Apostle Paul's concern for people who think it's okay to sin because God forgives them and indulge themselves in their sin. Godly repentance that leads to salvation is a remorse for sin because it is against God. Is it a desire for the forgiveness of sins and to stop that sin? Well, from the regret to the repentance, we go to the result, number three. We see the evidences of God's grace that you have repented. Just the fact that you're here is an evidence of God's grace. Some of you, your family members, like you're going to church in your weird warehouse in Dover. What has happened to you? Grace, grace, you want to know more about this God, even though maybe, like most of us, like me, you sat in church your whole life growing up. So he gives us the evidence of grace, that you know that God's grace is upon you, and the evidence of their repentance, verse 11, for observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner, Another version says, see what this godly sorrow produced in you. What diligence it produced in you. Another version says, what eagerness it produced in you. 
probably to get the situation right with the Apostle Paul, but it produces an eagerness and a diligence to know more about your Creator. What clearing of yourselves, they want to make things right with the Apostle. What indignation. It's great to have indignation against your own sin, against your unable to stop shopping, against your unable to stop losing your temper against your unable to do whatever it is, seek your own best interests among everything else. It's great to have that smell, stink, and stench in your nostrils because you know it's not what is leading you to a fruitful and wonderful relationship with Jesus Christ. What indignation. What fear. Now, we've said before, sometimes we talk about the fear of God being absolutely afraid of God, and there is a place for that. But in 2 Corinthians, it seems to be more of the fear of not living in the presence of God. The fear of not the full experience of God. The fear of not getting everything that God has for you and for I because we've allowed other things to come into our lives and to get in the way of that. What vehement desire. What zeal. What zeal to serve God? What vindication? What's the vindication? The attitudes and the actions that testify that they have been forgiven. In all things, you proved yourself to be clear. Now, some of your versions say innocent. I'm not comfortable with that, and I'll tell you why in a second. But in all things, you proved yourself to be clear in this matter. In other words, you worked hard to clear up the difficulty between you and God, but also between you and others. So sensing their sin, some of the people in the Corinthian church turned to God. But more than that, they also take steps, again with God's help, to make things right with the Lord. Part of that is making things right with the Apostle Paul. Part of that is making things right with those we have harmed, those we have hurt. And through repentance and effort, the Apostle Paul says, you're cleared. Forgiven? Yes, we are forgiven when we confess our sins. But as we make that effort to make things right, we are cleared of the charges. Some were diligent. Some were eager to deal with the sin in themselves and the sin in their church, the critics of the Apostle Paul in the Corinthian church, and they were free to serve the Lord again. There's an old expression that says this, what one desires is a sure sign of who one is. What one desires is a sure sign of who one is. Godly sorrow turns the desire from self to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you business people who are worried about, oh no, Pastor Jim became some weird Jesus follower and when he had his company and it must have tanked. Oh, the exact opposite. What happened is the focus went from merely making money, the focus was changed to serving God and our clients. And people came. Customers flocked. We would tell people, we'll tell you the truth, you might not like it, but we'll tell you what's going on. We'll tell you where your stuff is. We'll tell you if we didn't get it out the door in time and stuff like that. And people would always say to me, well, I guess God really blessed you and your company. I'd say he did, but as much as anything, he made me diligent for the good of others. 
and he'll do the same for you. True Christians can always point to their changes of attitudes and their changes in actions as evidence that God is working in their heart. You see, here's the reality. True Christians, man, we know we're not innocent. <laughs> we know it. Not, we're not trying to pawn it off for a second. We're not like, oh, yes, well, you know, I'm following God. Wah, 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 wah. It's not like Charlie Brown's teacher. Wah, 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 wah. It's like, give me a break, you windbag, man. Right? We know we're not innocent. We know the gavel has come down on our life and it's not guilty. Not because we were innocent, because one who was innocent died on the cross in our place for our sins and because of his innocence being credited to us, the punishment, the sentence for our sins being put upon him, we are declared not guilty in God's eyes. It's all because of what Jesus did and our response to his work, the response of faith. That's the evidence of repentance. I know a lot of you haven't been taught the Bible. And somebody says, why are you going to go to heaven? And you go, I'm a good person. Please understand you're trusting in yourself. People say to me all the time, well, you must be going to heaven because you're a pastor. And I go, I'm leaving my pastor ID here when I leave. <laughs> When I get there, I'm simply going to say, I'm with him. I'm here because of what another did for me. That he led the perfect life I could never live. That he died a sinner's death so I would never have to die one. And I can prove that God was satisfied with it because he rose from the dead. Just like he's promised to raise me. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, talking about that letter that he wrote and what seemed difficult to them, he said this, For to this end I also wrote that I might put you to the test whether you are obedient in all things. You say, I'm really uncomfortable with that. The German scholar Walter Grunman wrote this, Human existence stands under the divine testing in which it must prove itself. You might say, well, I'm uncomfortable with that. I don't really like that. But it is improving, it is in your behavior, it is in your attitudes that you prove that God has done a work in your heart and that God continues to do a work in your heart. It is the change of mind, the change of attitude, the change of behavior that confirms to you whether you are a Christian or not. We are not Christians because we say we are. We are Christians when God says we are. And the way he confirms it in our hearts is we're different We become more loving. We become more caring. Yes, we're still full of sin and we still make mistakes, but it all matters to us. This passage is not to make you feel guilty. This passage is to encourage you that you are going to heaven when you repent, that you are going to heaven when your lifestyle becomes one of repenting. When you, as a, I have it, let's trust me. People say, oh, it must be wonderful living with Pastor Jim all the time. My wife's like, what should I say? You should say, pray he picks up his socks. <laughs> what is it like when I'm not nice to my wife? The Lord says, is that the way you talk to my daughter who I gave you? And I say to the Lord, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. 
And then I walk to Pam and I say, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And she says, I forgive you. Go pick up your socks. <laughs> Worldly sorrow is temporary. It fades away. Godly sorrow has an endurance about it. It's empowered by God. It fights sin to the death. I've heard so many people say, I hate this wretched tongue of mine. And I always say, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Worldly sorrow is prideful and arrogant when it continues without a fight. Godly sorrow knows that it's prideful and arrogant and knows that with God's help it must fight. Godly sorrow wants to be clean before God, so it takes measures and makes plans to stay clean before God and stay close to God. Worldly sorrow hates the consequences of sin. Godly sorrow hates sin. And it weeps before God. Worldly sorrow hates that the whole world knows. Why? Because it values its reputation more than God. Worldly sorrow hates that the whole world knows. Godly sorrow hates that a holy God sees. Godly sorrow wants to be right with God, accepts the consequences for sin, and praises the Lord for his eternal forgiveness, even though it might be accompanied by earthly consequences. Worldly sorrow says, I'll fix myself. I can do it. Godly sorrow knows that each step, even the step of wanting to God's help, each step and each victory is the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. Godly sorrow comes to the cross bringing only its sin and a broken heart. Seeing it was that our sin that put Jesus on the cross, seeing our sin, as the Bible says, being placed upon Jesus Christ. And as you look at the cross and see your sin upon Jesus, in one of the most unexplainable moments of your life, you feel the weight of your sin, and at the same time, you feel so very loved that he would do that for you. Tears flow knowing that you turned your back on God, knowing that you turned your back on God's love and sufficiency, yet as you look at him, you love him more. The life-changing, habit-breaking, sin-stomping focus of godly sorrow is God himself. Many of you, just need to move the focus. Move the focus from you to God, and you will be amazed at what you see. As you would rather die than do pornography, as you would rather love Jesus than love pornography, you will stop doing such things. Drugs, alcohol, pleasure, comfort, reputation, whatever it is that you love more than God, 
Bring that to the foot of the cross. Love Jesus more than that. You will see great change and you will be free. When we love Jesus, we live for Jesus. When we care about his glory and his reputation, by the grace of God, you will, we will be changed. You've been listening to Changed by Love, the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel Morris Hills in Dover, New Jersey. Our hope and prayer is that all of our listeners would grow into committed followers of Jesus Christ. And we're overjoyed to play whatever role we can in helping you mature in your faith. Would you like to know more about us? Maybe you'd like to pass this message on to a friend or family member. If so, go to our website at www.changedbyloveradio.com. Maybe you have a question or need some guidance. We don't want to replace your pastor, but we are here to help. It's so easy to contact us. All you have to do is call, click, or write. Our phone number is 973-659-3380. That's 973-659-3380. Our email address is info at changedbyloveradio.com. And our mailing address is changedbylove, 158 West Clinton Street, Dover, New Jersey, 07801. Once again, that is Changed by Love, 158 West Clinton Street, Dover, New Jersey, 07801. You may be surprised to know how excited Pastor Jim and the Changed by Love radio team are to hear from you. In fact, it's common for Pastor Jim to pass on your encouragement to the congregation here in New Jersey, since we consider all our listeners part of our family. That's all the time we have for today. Our sincere hope and desire is that you will join us again next time on this radio station as we continue teaching the Word of the Lord. We here at Changed by Love pray God's best to each and every one of you today. Until next time...